0: Welcome to Experience This where you'll find inspiring examples of customer experience, great stories of customer service, and tips on how to make your customers love you even more. Always upbeat and definitely entertaining, customer retention expert Joey Coleman and social media expert Dan Gingis serve as your hosts for a weekly dose of positive customer experience. So hold on to your headphones. It's time to experience this.
1: Hey, everybody. This is Jay Baer, founder of Convince and Convert. Before Joey and Dan kick off the show, wanted to tell you about some of the other sponsors bringing you experience this, this week, in addition to our friends at Oracle CX. When we produce each episode of experience this, it's available uh, on the website, of course, transcript of the show. And we do that. We use Rev. You know, look, transcribing your own audio would be a real chore. Rev makes it super easy it takes all the hassle out of transcription out of closed captioning, or anything else along those lines you want to do and it's just $1 per minute no minimums no contracts to sign and every transcription every caption is done by a real person not a robot and typically handled in a few hours they turn it around in just a few hours. So go to rev.com slash experience this. That's rev, rev.com slash experience this. And you will receive $10 off your first order courtesy of experience this rev.com slash experience this. Get ready for another episode of the experience this show.
2: Join us as we discuss the smallest improvements a cyclist can make. The end of an era for the maker of duck boots. And going
0: overboard with restroom signage? Cyclist, duck boots, and restroom signage, oh my. There are so many great customer experience articles to read, but who has the time? We summarize them and offer clear takeaways you can implement starting tomorrow. Enjoy this segment of CX Press, where we read the articles so you don't need to. Today's CX Press article comes to us from my good friend and super thinker, James Clear. James is an absolutely incredible researcher and writer who specializes in uncovering the habits and routines that make exceptional people the best at what they do. His article is entitled, This Coach Improved Every Tiny Thing by 1% and Here's What Happened. So back in 2010, David Brailsford was faced with an incredibly difficult task. No British cyclist had ever won the Tour de France. He was hired as the general manager and performance director for Great Britain's professional cycling team and asked to change that. He was tasked with developing the team in a way that one of them would go on to win the Tour de France. That was the goal. So Brailford's plan
2: was brilliantly simple, and it focused on something that he called the aggregation of marginal gains. Now, what does this mean? His goal was to improve everything the team did, but only by 1%. He felt that the small enhancements would add up to a remarkable improvement. So he started with the obvious things like rider nutrition, weekly training programs, the weight of the tires, etc. Then he looked at improving the tiny things that the competition wasn't even thinking about paying attention to, let alone actually paying attention to it. These were things like... Discovering the pillow that offered the best sleep and taking it with them to hotels and testing for the most effective type of massage gel or even teaching riders the best way to wash their hands to avoid infection. This plan was
0: crazy, right? It was extremely radical. It was not anything that was even being considered in the world of cycling. But it was also extremely detailed. And Brailsford believed that if they followed this plan and kept at it, they would win the Tour de France in five years. Sadly, he was wrong. They did it in three years. Not only did Sir Bradley Wiggins become the first British cyclist to win the Tour de France and probably have the coolest name of anyone that ever won the Tour de France, but later that year, uh, Brailsford coached the British cycling team at the 2012 Olympic Games. And obliterated the competition. They won 70% of the gold medals available in cycling. Now, keep in mind, this was the same team that had not done well at international competitions before, and they go to the Olympics and they win 70% of the golds. The interesting thing is the team actually repeated their success the following year, winning the Tour de France again, but this time with a different rider. So it wasn't even like, oh, well, the same person won it a second year in a row. No, these philosophies and this approach won it a second year in a row. So what can we
2: learn from this? And how can British cycling behavior actually help us with our customers experience? Well, to start with, the secret is making these small improvements. And I think all too often companies focus on gigantic major policy shifts, or changes to the vision and mission that they believe will radically improve the customer experience. And the thing is, is that it the same time they're overlooking these little
0: enhancements that could actually have a huge impact when you add them all up the crazy thing about focusing on these one percent dan is that you know improving by one percent isn't really notable and as the author of the article james clear mentions it's something that often isn't even noticeable but it can be incredibly valuable. These small choices don't make much of a difference at the time, but when you add them up, they have a really compounding effect long-term. For sure.
2: And I think the way that businesses can kind of adapt this, and we've talked about this before, is step into your customer's shoes. Make sure that you are experiencing your business as a customer would every step of the way. So I used to work for a credit card company, Right go online and apply for a credit card, fill out that long application see if you understand what it's asking for, see how long it takes you, see what happens when you make a mistake. All of these things present you with these opportunities to make these little 1% changes because sometimes you'll intentionally cause an error on a form, for example, and you'll see that the error message shows up in a red color that's too bright and is difficult to read. And so you change it into something that's more readable. That's an example of a 1%, right? It's not notable. It may not even be noticeable to most people, but it's going to simplify the experience. You do 100 of those, and now you're making real progress.
0: Absolutely. And I mean, I, I think the, the two pieces, number one, you're spot on when you talk about there, these little things, right? So for example, there are many online uh, kind of e-commerce type sites that I go to now where they have that little checkbox that allows you to say that the billing address and the shipping address are the same. And so they kind of pre-fill the fields for you. That's a tiny little improvement that makes moving through the shopping cart faster. Some of the ones I really like are the ones that will ask for your zip code first, and then they'll pre-populate the name of the city and the state. Now, this probably only saves seconds or even milliseconds of your time, but these are the type of things that, as a customer, I notice and appreciate. I think focusing in on these little things uh, is hugely important. And the second point I wanted to make on this is that I think the way that you really want to think about this within your organization is to empower your employees to make the change at the moment they notice it. What I mean by that is if they realize that an improvement can be made, empower your employees to take the 15, 20, 30 minutes, hour, half day, whatever it is to make the improvement right then and there. All too often, I think these things get turned into a suggestion box that again floats up to management. And once a quarter, we review these and decide what one we're going to implement. Instead, if you have a customer experience focused culture in your organization, you can empower people and just say, Hey, make the improvements you need to make. And now everyone's making improvements 1% at a time, which has gigantic impact on the organization. I love that
2: you mentioned the zip code, because what I notice is when they ask for the zip code first, and then it doesn't automatically fill in the city. And I'm like, (laughs) but you already know, why are you making me do this? This is a great article. And there were great takeaways. And I would say the three are, you know, number one, The secret to big success is making small improvements, even these 1% improvements, but making them again and again across all of your interactions with your customer. I think number two is if you want to go above and beyond, look to these improvements that seem small but have a compounding effect. So the cyclist who looked at the pillow they slept on at night. You can consider the phone headset that your customer service reps use, right? If they're a little bit more comfortable, maybe they're a little bit more friendly to their customers and maybe they have a little bit better reviews on the surveys from customers after that little things add up to big results. And finally, number three, once you make an improvement in one area of your customer's experience, look to other areas and find ways to make incremental improvement there too. By the way, you might be able to make the same improvement. So that example that I gave with the red text might work in other places on the website as well. And in a very small amount of time, what you're going to find is that all these 1% improvements have produced a dramatic enhancement in your overall customer experience.
0: We love telling stories and sharing key insights you can implement or avoid based on our experiences. Can you believe that this just happened? So, Dan, did you see the news from L.L. Bean recently? About the change to their famous, or shall I say infamous, return policy? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So we talked about the land's end version of this policy way back in episode four flamethrowers, fashion, and fiberglass. Oh my. Uh Lands' End has been famous for years with their extremely generous return policy. Uh in short there was no time limit on their returns and ironically enough the fellow outdoor clothing retailer LL Bean had a very similar policy that allowed you to return any item anytime for any reason after you purchased it. Uh, what's interesting is that I kind of did a little research into this and it's been that way since 1912 when Leon Leonwood Bean L.L. Bean, founded the company, and he didn't want his customers to be dissatisfied because the first hundred pairs of hunting boots that he sold, at least according to the legend, uh, resulted in 90 of them. Yes, 90 being returned due to flaws in the boot. So they kind of created this policy that okay, we'll take care of you and we have these lifelong warranties on our products.
2: Yikes on the 90 boots, but you know, this is uh it's a pretty big shift for LLB. I mean, uh, my wife's been a customer and her family's been a customers of LLB for many many years and this is a, a big part of why they love the company. And in their announcement, the company said that the new policy will still allow returns for up to a year after purchase. And it will require a proof of purchase as well. Unfortunately, as it turns out, people were taking advantage of the policy by doing things like... I, I mean, when I saw this, I couldn't even believe this. <laughs> I know. People it's Going crazy. to thrift stores and even in trash bins and finding old LL being clothing and then returning it to the store for a refund, which I mean, come on people. But according to the company, the abuse and fraud had doubled the number of returns that the company had seen in the past five years and was costing them over $250 million. Joey, what
0: do you think of this change? So here's the deal. I I mean, $250 million is a huge amount of money. This is a big problem. But while I understand that they needed to do something about it, To be honest, I kind of disagree with the way they went about it. I don't think they should have made a blanket announcement on Facebook. It really didn't feel spot on with their brand. And there are ways that I think they could have gotten around this. Um, You know, I had the pleasure of working with Zappos years ago. And one of the things that I talked to their CEO, Tony Shea about was Zappos return policy, which basically is you can return the shoes for any time up to one year after you purchase them. And this is for shoes, right? Shoes are something that once you wear once, it's pretty obvious that you've worn them. And I asked Tony, I was like, look, what how do you handle this? Aren't you afraid of people abusing it? And he's like, yeah, look, the fact of the matter is there are some people that abuse it. We track it internally in our system. And once they reach a certain threshold, which is a secret, but it does happen. Once they reach that threshold, we tell them that they're not welcome to be a customer anymore. And we just kind of have them exit our business, which as you know about, and I think we've talked about on the show, I'm a big fan of firing customers that aren't a good fit. And I think there would have been an opportunity here. Now, the difference, to full disclosure, between Zappos and L.L. Bean is L.L. Bean has online sales, but they also have retail physical store sales. So it's a little more difficult to manage this from like a CRM type uh, interaction where they'll actually be able to trap, whereas Zappos is all online, so it's a lot easier for them to know when a customer is doing a return. Uh, but I do think there might have been some other ways for them to handle it. But again, I I empathize with the fact that they were losing $250 million over the last five years on this type of kind of abusive fraud. That's my thought. I don't know. What do you think, Dan? What you know, this change in policy and how they approached it? Any thoughts? Well,
2: yeah, I mean, I I felt for them here. Uh, my first job when I worked at Discover was running the rewards program, and and this is true of all credit card companies, but it's the same kind of thing is that you have a few people taking advantage of the rewards program in a way that frankly makes the whole program more expensive and therefore you know, by definition, makes it less valuable for everybody else. And so one of the strategic challenges is how do you keep these, we call them gamers, how do you keep the gamers at bay? Because you want to give the vast majority of your customers the best deal possible. And I think your Zappos story is a great answer. And it was kind of what I was thinking as you were talking about the announcement was, you know, the people that are going to thrift stores, and through garbage cans are probably doing this often. I mean, they're doing it more than once, right? And so at some point, they they should be tagged. And, you know, I'm not sure that you say, I don't want them to be a customer anymore, but you certainly can say, I'm not going to accept returns from you anymore. But you know what? Even if you do that, Joey they'll figure out a different way. They'll they'll go to the thrift stores and buy 10 items and they'll give them to the 10 of their friends to return. I mean, one thing that I learned about gamers is they will go to great lengths to abuse the system, no matter what barriers you put in the way. And so to that extent... I think that LLB made the right decision. And frankly, a year after purchase is still an extremely generous return policy. I mean, like, especially for a company that sells gear and clothing and shoes and things that you are wearing and using, you know, to be able to go, you know, buy a pair of hiking boots, go for a hike, and then return them is ridiculous, right? I mean, they shouldn't take those hiking boots back, but they will for a year. And so, I think it's still an extremely generous policy. And I think they still will have people gaming it, unfortunately, but I understand why they did it. And, uh, you know, I, there's other reasons to love LLB and the quality of their products is really, really good. And so I think in the end of the day, this will not hurt business very much. And the reason is, is because the only people it really hurts is that tiny, tiny percentage that are taking advantage
0: no, I and I agree with you on that, and I think that's some additional clarifying comments have come out from the management team at LL Bean afterwards, where they said, "Look, you know, we realize this is a big change, but this is really only going to impact the abusers. It's not going to impact the customers who were being respectful of the policy." And I, I think that makes sense. Where I do think it's going to get interesting, and this is, you know, the lawyer in me. I noticed a num a couple of people on social media complaining about the contract that they had, that when they made the- their purchase, this warranty was in place, and that they're now changing it. And whether it was a warranty or a guarantee is something that will, I'm sure, be sorted out in the court somewhere. But this is pseudo dangerous territory here. Um, but I, I think at the end of the day, LLB probably comes out on top. But the the messaging and the PR and kind of handling this right now is going to be interesting uh, to see how they take this and run with it or or don't going forward.
2: Yeah, and I mean, look, I know none of our listeners fall into this category, but you know, in case they share this episode with anybody they know, if you are doing this, please, would you please find another vocation and another way to make money? (laughs) Because it really does suck when you ruin it for everybody. And we see it in other places. It's not just this industry. It's in a number of industries. And You know, if anything, I think my reaction to this was I was sad. I was sad that they had to make this change because I guarantee you they didn't want to make the change. But they felt like they had to because it was simply causing too much money. And uh, and it really is a shame that we just have people in the world that, that do that.
0: I agree with you, Dan. It's a, it's a shame when the behavior of the few impacts the experience of everyone. And you know, to, to be clear, upon further reflection, I, I hope I didn't sound like I was being too critical of LL Bean. I absolutely understand they had to do something. I think the moral of the story here, at least for me, is when you need to make these sweeping types of policy changes, and I'm sure they spent a lot of time thinking about it. Consider the move that gets it going in the right direction, even if it doesn't completely solve the problem, right? So could they have taken that, you know, what averaged out to be probably $50 million of loss a year and knocked it down to 5 million by upgrading their systems and really tracking everyone that did returns or something? I don't know. But the moral of the story is I I wish them the best. I hope it works out well. I agree with you. It's a great company with a great story and a great tradition. And I think when the dust settles, they're probably just going to be fine. Good luck, LLO Bean. We love your duck boots. Sometimes a remarkable experience deserves deeper investigation. We dive into the nitty gritty of customer interactions and dissect how and why they happen. Join us while we're dissecting the experience. Do you believe you can overdo it when it comes to signage for your customers, Dan?
2: Well, you know, I am a big fan of signage. I I think it's important to make signage clear. And I, I think that, you know, telling people things more often than less is generally a good rule to
0: follow. Why do you ask? And, well, as a general rule, Dan, I totally agree with you, but I had an experience at a rental car agency recently that made me question everything I believe to be true about signage. I found myself renting a car, and while in the airport car rental location, I spotted a wall with five signs showing an arrow pointing towards the restrooms.
2: Five signs?
0: Are you kidding me? I hope you took pictures. Uh oh, don't worry baby. Of course I did. Uh you know, as much like you, I have a joy of finding great little things and capturing them and so we will include the photo in the show notes, but there were 5 separate signs. Now, to be fair, one was the traditional kind of metallic bathroom sign showing the icons for a man and a woman and the word restrooms printed on it. But that sign had a neon yellow arrow underneath it made of tape, uh, kind of like that colored duct tape you can get and in addition to this there were four black and white signs printed with a large arrow pointing to the side and the word restroom that were strategically placed all on the same wall wait so there were five signs all pointing
2: to the same restroom all on the same wall correct (laughs) That is, uh, that's absolutely outrageous.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, it was ridiculous. They're on the same wall in the middle of a room. And like I said, we, we included the photo in the show notes, uh, experience this So you can go check out this for yourself and experience the insanity of this signage.
2: So, I mean, I'm truly befuddled about this one. And I, so like, do you have any idea why this happened?
0: Well, to, to be candid, I, I don't know for sure, okay? And I didn't feel compelled to ask uh, while I was there, basically because of the tone and tenor and the attitude of the people that I dealt with. And as a result, based on the attitude of the employees of this rental car company, I think what happened is someone got tired of people asking where the restrooms were located, and either one or more employees got so irritated by this that they decided to just go bonkers with their signage and, you know, start pasting things all over the wall. Either that or,
2: you know, somebody lost a dare or there was like an office contest or something. I kind of see where this is going. I mean, I, I've seen in like some government offices, sometimes you find these like snarky cartoons about or, or signs about rude customers or what have you. and And they do kind of set the tone for frankly what you should expect in terms of the experience at that
0: location did that happen here yeah i mean buddy i i know exactly what you're talking about it was definitely not a good experience with this rental car company and i know what you're talking about it's and these these signs always make me cringe when i walk in like for example you walk into the dmv and you see this kind of Unofficial piece of cubicle flare that says, we work hard to please everyone, but we know we can't. So if you're hard to please, turn around and go somewhere else. Or, you know, the one behind the customer service counter that'll say something like, if you're grouchy and irritable or just plain mean, there's a $10 charge for putting up with you. You know, these kind of bitter, jaded kind of, we think we're being cute, but we're going to hang it in the office to kind of, uh, exercise our frustrations, uh, you know, show up in businesses all over. I, I've worked in plenty of places that the all too common, what I call stack of signs that show up in office kitchens above the sink where there'll be a sign that says like, please remember to do your dishes. And then another sign next to that that's like, no, seriously, your mom doesn't work here. Don't do the dishes, which has all kinds of horrible gender prepositioning in that one. Uh, and then like the next sign that says, no serious guys, do your dishes already. I'm not your housekeeper, you know, and like each sign gets progressively worse. And then if you work at a really awesome place, people start making signs about the signs and I'll say, you know, but actually you look like my housekeeper or whatever, you know, and they just, and it just falls apart. But yeah, this idea of snarky signs kind of being representative of the experience of the culture. Yeah. These, these things are bad and they do show up.
2: Yeah. I mean, if you want to have these signs in the back where customers don't see them, that's one thing. I mean, if you're right that, you know, maybe there were some people at this car rental company that were tired of being asked where the bathroom was. You know, maybe you put up a poster in the back where only the employees see that has something to do with, uh, you know, top 10 answers to the question of where's the bathroom. And, you know, you can have you could do stuff like that. But putting up five signs and and guys, when you see this picture, it is really weird. It's like, what is it like? What happened here? And why? 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 and and i think you're probably right that like somebody thought they were probably being funny or uh, were were expressing this is how they were expressing
0: frustration and you just don't want to do that in front of a customer totally i i think signs can be a great asset to your customers or they can end up being a cancer that grows in your organization in a way that promotes bad customer service and bad experience right these These types of snarky signs actually end up leaving a bad taste in the mouth for the customer, and in many ways, they almost start to justify bad employee behavior as well look i don 't think it 's unreasonable um, to have a public restroom in your building if you serve dozens of customers an hour and it 's also not unreasonable at a car rental agency to expect that these customers are new to your location. It's not like you rent a car at the same car rental agency every week, right? Usually, you've flown or traveled to some city that you don't live in, and you're walking into a building you've never been in before. And the only other time you're going to go in is when you return the car. And in fact, you're not even going to go in. You're going to stay outside and return it, you know, to the the car rental attendants out in the parking lot. You know, I don't think this is unreasonable that a customer might not be familiar with the layout might ask, well, where's the bathroom? So I think, you know, making sure that you cover the basics is a great way to kind of establish foundational customer experience and doing it in a way that isn't snarky, really make sure that the culture of your organization is supportive of good customer experience instead of fostering these bad behaviors.
2: Yeah. And to your point, Joe, I mean, if if everybody's asking where the bathroom is, then maybe it isn't obvious, right? And and maybe your signage isn't good. And that doesn't mean you need five signs. It just means you need a better sign. So what can we learn from Joey's experience with the five, count them, five restroom signs? I'd say a few things. The first is, you know, when you have customers, they may need to go to the bathroom or they may need a drink of water or they may have other basic needs that they need to take care of and make sure that they can quickly find out where that is and don't assume that they know just because you're in the same office every day and you know where it is don't assume that somebody new to the building does know uh, as we mentioned make sure that your employees are not creating their own signs that are in in view of a customer this is it can bring down employee morale it can uh, you know, affect the customer experience negatively for your customers, and it just looks bad for your company. So don't do it. Everything in the office contributes to the visitor experience, and people look at this stuff. So make sure that it's positive. And finally... You know, take a look at the layout of your space and the signage and make sure that you're communicating what you want to communicate. And I've said this before, I'll say this again, get into the shoes of your customer, walk into your retail location, and try to find the bathroom and see whether it's easy and see whether the signage is clear or go through some other aspect of the experience that your customer would go through. And that will tell you where you need the signs, how many you need
0: and what they should say. Listen in while we try to stump and surprise each other with a fantastic statistic from the worlds of customer experience and customer service. It's time to check out this number. This week's number is 15X. What do you think it refers to, Dan?
2: Oh, that must be the new Vin Diesel movie coming out this summer. <laughs>
0: I love it. For those of you that are not big Vin Diesel fans, like my good friend Dan Ginghis, uh Vin Diesel starred in some movies called Triple X. Uh No, the 15X I'm referring to is the fact that customers with the highest likelihood to return an item are 15 times more likely to return their purchase than other customers. So basically, that that means is that people are going to do the returns, do it at a rate of 15x the normal customer. This comes from research from Castora, an analytics firm that tracks data from over 100 retail establishments in the United States.
2: Yeah, and I don't think this is that surprising given our earlier discussion that it's a few bad eggs that can ruin it for everybody else. I mean... The key to handling this is to segment your customers. And one metric to consider is their return likelihood, especially if you work in retail. And I think that the the retailers that are using data to drive their decisions are leveraging algorithms that predict return likelihood of each customer. And that helps them identify these customer segments that have a higher likelihood and then to communicate
0: with them in a different way. Totally. You can learn more interesting statistics like this one from the Smarter CX newsletter published by Oracle just once a month. This newsletter is a quick and easy read that's going to share great stats, expert insights, links to fantastic articles, all the things your little CX heart desires. And it comes to you from our great friends and sponsors of the experience, this show, Oracle CX cloud. Woo-hoo. Woo-hoo. Go check them out at SmarterCX.com slash experience this and sign up for their new newsletter today. Wow. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Experience This.
2: We know there are tons of podcasts to listen to, magazines and books to read, reality TV to watch.
0: We don't take for granted that you've decided to spend some quality time listening to the two of us. We hope you enjoyed our discussions, and if you do, we'd love to hear about it. Come on over to experiencethisshow.com and let us know what segments you enjoyed, what new segments you'd like to hear. This show is all about experience, and we want you to be part of the Experience This Show. Thanks again for your time, and we'll see you next week for more Experience This. This.